as, as we begin this morning, I want to ask you to sort of conjure up a difficult memory. I, I want you to think of a time when, when you felt very rejected. Maybe um, it was when you were a young person and you were left out. You weren't invited to the birthday party. Maybe it was when you were an older person and you were left out and you weren't invited uh, to the birthday party. Maybe it was if you were. Maybe it was when you were a child of divorce and one of your parents didn't show up to pick you up when they were supposed to. You felt rejected. Maybe. Um, maybe your in-laws didn't accept you and you felt rejected. Maybe your, your spouse hurt you. Maybe your adult kids seem to forget you. We could do this all day, right? We know what this feels like. Someone who feels like someone doesn't want us, doesn't appreciate what we've done doesn't notice, doesn't want us around. What happens inside of you when that comes from outside of you? Then how do you react outwardly from, from that when it goes on inside? What do you tend, just in your natural tendency, to do you feel rejected? Do you... So are you one that, that more internalizes that rejection, tends to believe it, tends to sort of beat yourself up? If I was more like this, if I was more less like that, then they wouldn't treat me that way. I'm so stupid, I'm so stupid, I'm so stupid. Is that you? Or do you tend to get more defensive, angry, lash out, Two can play at that game. If you hurt me this much, I can hurt you that much. Do you tend to sort of self-medicate, find something that makes that, that, that soothes that balm? It might be it might be food, it might be uh, porn, it might be uh, alcohol, it might be. The reason you call that person or those people and you want to tell them what that other person did is because you want to feel them accept you and reject that other person with you. What do you tend to do? Hang on to that for a second, for a few minutes, because this morning we're going to see a little... what I. I Kind of a hidden gem. It's one of these things I didn't ever notice in the Bible, even though I've read it multiple times. Because we're going to see the example of someone being and feeling rejected today. And I want to use that as uh, kind of a springboard to talk about dealing with rejection. Today we start, really, we start a new section of the book of 1 Samuel today. In this section, Israel's going to get its first ever king. And in today's passage, Israel's going to request for the first time a king. It's a fairly well-known passage. Um, you know, it's not David and Goliath level of well-known, but 
I was familiar with it. Um, don't feel bad if you weren't. Um, but it's one of those passages that I thought, oh yeah, I see that one coming. I know what this sermon's going to be about. Because Israel, in this section, uh, is going to become a negative example. They want to be like the rest of the world. So I thought I knew where this sermon was, was going, and, but that's going to have to wait till next week. Okay, come back next week for that one. Because in the meantime, we're going to see a pretty kind of obvious, now that you, you see it there, a picture of rejection and what to do with it. Let's read our passage, and then we'll talk about facing rejection. So 1 Samuel chapter 8. We're going to read the first nine verses this morning. And it, and it came about when Samuel was old, that he appointed his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second, Abijah. They were judging in Beersheba. Samuel's sons, however, did not walk in Samuel's ways, but they turned aside after dishonest gain, and they took bribes, and they perverted justice. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. And they said to him, Behold, you have grown old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint a king for us to judge us like all the nations. Verse 6. But this thing was displeasing in the sight of Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. So Samuel prayed to the Lord. The Lord said to Samuel, Listen to the voice of the people in regard to all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. Like all the deeds which they have done since the day that I brought them up from Egypt, even to this day, and that they have forsaken me and they have served other gods. So that's why they are doing to you what they are doing also. Now then, listen to their voice. However, you shall solemnly warn them and tell them of the procedure of the king who will reign over them. So that's the beginning of the story of the time Israel requested to have a king for the very first time. And just to kind of go through it quickly to review the story, that verse 1 marks the passage of time the author does. Now it came to pass is a common Hebrew way of just starting a new story. And, and we learn that time has passed and Samuel is now old. We don't know how old old is, but come on, you know it when you see it. Let's be honest. Right? Don't look around for any examples. So Samuel has grown old, and he has appointed his sons to be judges over, over Israel. Joel and Abijah, he, he stations them to judge in Beersheba. There's some stuff going on here that we would miss just because it's been 3,000 years and we're not uh, Israelites of that age. But when Samuel does this, he's giving a very clear signal to the people of Israel that we're going, we're going backwards in the way our country is run. Because Samuel, he has become, he's not called a king, but he's the first judge in Israel to be the recognized leader over the civil authorities, the military, everything over the whole unified nation. And in the time of the judges, the judges had were 
had regional judgeships. They were recognized authorities like that, but only over little pockets of Israel. And when he gets old and he appoints his sons in Beersheba, which is way down at the southern tip of Israel, it's not like they're going to rule all of Israel from there. He is signaling, we're going to go back to that old system of regional judgeships. Samuel is still in Ramah. His sons are now in Beersheba. And the people don't want to go backwards. They've had a national leader for some time. And they like that. They also don't want Samuel's sons, and for good reasons. It was fine to appoint for a judge to appoint his sons as judges. That has happened before. It never seemed to work out that well, but it's happened. But his sons uh, tend to use their appointed position for personal gain rather than in the best interests uh, of the nation. So, so that's what's going on. Samuel sent a clear signal after me. We're going back into the time uh, to the to a, a system of regional judgeships. And the people don't want that. They don't want to go backwards. They want a king. So in verses, from verse 4, a representative council from, uh, the, from among the elders of all of the 12 tribes of Israel, they gather together, they come to meet Samuel in an official meeting, and they say to him, look or behold, uh, you're old, your sons don't walk in your way, so give us a king to judge us like all the other nations. Now, if you are familiar with this passage or if you were really perceptive when we read through and got to verse 7, what's the biggest problem with the people's request? When they say, look, you're old, your sons don't walk in your ways, make us a king to judge us like all the other nations. What's the biggest problem, according to God, with that request? It's not that they ask for a king. More on this next week. But Genesis makes clear, and Deuteronomy makes clear, that Israel was always going to have a king. And as long as they got the right kind of king, that was going to be okay with God. But they don't, they don't want a king like God wants them to have a king. They want a king like what? Like all the other nations. Israel's problem is God wants Israel to be distinct. And I'll show you what kind of king God said they were supposed to have next week. It's a way different kind of king. They don't want that kind of king because they don't want to do things the way God said to do things. That's why God will say later, they're really rejecting me. That's their problem. Because I have said, if you want a king, this is the way, this is the kind of king to get one. They really already have one national leader. Samuel, he's the right kind. They don't want that kind. Now here's what's most interesting to me from this passage. When Samuel gets offended by their request, Samuel doesn't get offended at the same part that offends God. See, God gets offended with this part. They want a king like all the other nations had. Samuel gets, a, gets offended at the give us a king part. Why is that? Well, read with me again what the elders say to Samuel. 
Put yourself in Samuel's shoes. What do you think Samuel heard and felt when this people he's done so much for, dedicated his life to serving, come to him and say, look, you're old. And your sons don't walk in your ways. So make us a king. You think Samuel hears? You know what Samuel hears? I think we don't want you anymore because you're old and your kids are jerks. That's what they say. By the way, Samuel's got lots of years left. Samuel's going to serve for, for quite a while. That's why Samuel's like, they said give us a king instead of me. They don't want me. That's why next, when Samuel goes and prays to the Lord, the Lord says to Samuel, Samuel, heed or obey the voice of the people and all they say to you. And God says this, Samuel, they have not rejected you. They've rejected me. That's what makes this really clear to me. God is sort of rebuking Samuel here. Samuel, buddy, you think their biggest problem is they don't want you anymore. That's not their biggest problem. Their biggest problem is their oldest problem. They don't want me anymore. It's not that the people weren't rejecting Samuel. They were. It's just that is dwarfed by their biggest problem. They don't want to do things like God wants them to do things. And so God says, Samuel, I know you're upset that they don't want you anymore. They think you're too old and your kids are jerks and they don't want to do things the way you want to do it. And you've got to be sitting there thinking, after all I have done for this people, and Samuel has done a ton. But look at what God says. They haven't rejected you, they've rejected me. And then God starts talking about what all he has done. That's a Samuel, look at this in the bigger picture. I've done infinitely more for this people than you have, Samuel. And they've been rejecting me all along. In fact, Samuel is something God has done for this people. The people rejecting Samuel is a picture, a symptom of them rejecting God. Samuel, if you remember his origin story from the beginning chapters of the book, God raised this man up to lead this nation because he cared for the nation. So God urges Samuel to see this in the bigger picture. And notice what God makes Samuel do and doesn't allow Samuel to do. What do you think Samuel wanted God to say? Samuel prays to God, Lord, they don't want me anymore. They want a king. What do you think Samuel wanted God to do? Probably not say, yep, and you're going to march right back in there, and you're going to give him a king. God does not let Samuel quit even serving the people who rejected him. You know why? Because Samuel is just there to represent God. And we have a God who doesn't quit serving people who rejected him. 
And so God sort of winds Samuel up and sends him marching right back to the people who rejected him here. And he tells them, here's how you're going to... Now, you're going to warn them. You're going to warn them how this is going to go. You're going to give them what they've asked. That's our passage. Now, let's fast forward 3,000 years in this passage. Do we still have a God who never stops reaching out toward people who have rejected him? Amen. Guess whose job it is to be God's representative toward the people whose biggest problem is they reject and offend God. That's us. That's his bride. That's his church. So how we deal with rejection is important because let's think for a second who we are supposed to be following. Who we're supposed to be becoming like. What is the greatest way that God ever served you or me? By allowing Himself to be despised and rejected. And even forgiving those who put Him up there. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Which, by the way, wasn't just the Romans or the Jews. It was us. So if we are going to represent the real king to the world, we're probably going to have to figure out a healthier way, a more Christ-like way to respond when we feel rejected than our natural tendencies. There aren't many better opportunities to fix Israel's biggest problem in this story. What was Israel's biggest problem in this story? Why did they want want a king? Because they wanted to be what? They wanted to be like the rest of the world. There aren't many ways to be different, more different than the rest of the world. In responding in a Christ-like manner when you are really rejected, despised, hurt. How do we do that? How do we keep from just letting our natural tendencies take over? Isolating, beating ourselves up, self-medicating, lashing out, build a coalition of people who like me and hate them so I can feel better that way. How do we, Father, forgive them? We do not know. They They know not what they're doing. Show me how I can demonstrate Christ. How do we do that? That's what I want to talk about for the rest of our time. Here's what I'm going to suggest. If you have, if you bring a Bible with you here, I would love for you to do that. If not, I want you to just write this down in a bulletin or a notebook and take it home. Here's what I would suggest. If you have a Bible with a blank page in the back, I'm going to suggest that you write down dealing with rejection or facing rejection. And for the rest of our time, I'm going to give you four things to do when you are rejected. Because it's coming. 
four things to do so that when you are rejected, so that you can really follow Christ in dealing with rejection. No one has more experience at at it than him. Now, unfortunately, in this passage, not unfortunately, but in this passage, we don't get the full teaching. We don't see everything Samuel does. We see the beginnings, and then we just read the story of what happened. I'm not sure we learn how to do it. So I'm gonna, we're going to go to the New Testament some this morning. I'm going to give you the steps and some, some other passages to refer to to help you with facing rejection. But we do see the beginnings. The, the first step. When Samuel was rejected, hey, uh, you're too old, we don't want you anymore, and your kids are jerks, give us a king. What's the first thing Samuel did? So Samuel prayed to the Lord. Step one for facing rejection, go toward God first. Go toward God first. You know what we didn't read of Samuel doing? He didn't respond at all toward those who were rejecting him. He didn't, uh, he didn't uh, go call other people. He didn't isolate and self-medicate. He didn't do any of those things. He went right to the Lord first. Excuse me. So that's step one. When, when you feel rejected. Very first thing before you raid the snack cabinet before you isolate, before you log on to the internet, before you lash out, go toward the Lord. And kind of make it seem like He's that person that you call. He's that person that you want to get on the phone with or go visit. And tell Him what that person did and how it made you feel. God, did you hear what she said? God, do you know how that made me feel, Lord? I'm so angry when he did that. He already knows, but he told you. He told me, he told us, cast your cares on me. He wants to hear. So, First part of this, you go toward God and you just tell him what happened. Pour it out. Then, like Samuel did, you need to listen. Go toward God, speak first, pour it out there, and then listen. Now, God's not going to respond to you the way he responded to Samuel. Okay, God spoke to Samuel audibly. We're not going to get that. So I think maybe the most important thing you can do when you feel rejected by the rest of the world is listen to God confirm to you that you're accepted by Him. So I could put a bunch of different passages up here. This is the one I I chose for this. But Ephesians 1, 3-6. So you can write that down. So step one. Uh, go toward God first and then write down uh, where you're writing those things. Ephesians 1, 3 through 6. And I would even tell you to put first person pronouns in while you read this. That just means take out the us's and put me's. Here's Ephesians 1, 3 through 6. This is Paul writing in the New Testament. 
Praise be to the God and Father of my Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed me in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For God chose me in Christ before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. In love, He predestined me for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with His pleasure and will to the praise of His glorious grace, which He has freely given me in the one He loves. Now, we don't have time to fine-tooth comb this passage. Someday we will. But again, this is a great example of what the, how the Gospel allows us to be accepted by God. And there's when you are feeling rejected, rejected, there is probably nothing more important for you to do as a Christian than get your acceptance, your needs for acceptance met in the one who stop, would stop at nothing to accept you. This is what Paul says here. Isn't it awesome that we have already been given Every blessing. That's a lot of blessing. Right? We have been given already in heaven every spiritual blessing in Christ. You know why? Because He chose me. The rest of the world might reject you, but if you're a Christian, God accepts you. He chose you. He wants you. He adopted you, and the adoption to sonship just means an adoption with full inheritance rights. So even if you want to say that you've been adopted as a daughter and not a son, just know, saying you get the full inheritance that his one and only son deserves. You get to share in that. And, and God didn't choose you. God didn't adopt you. Just, oh, because nobody else will pick him. And I guess I will. I don't want him to feel left out. No! It was his what? It was his pleasure. And it was his will. It was his desire. Not just to have some people, to have you. But, don't miss this. He chose you to be holy and blameless in His sight. He chose you to be holy and blameless in His sight. Now remember at the beginning when I asked you how you normally respond when you feel rejected? How do you normally respond? How many of you thought, well, I respond with holiness and blamelessness when I feel rejected. Right? Hey, you were chosen, picked, adopted to be holy and blameless even when we're rejected by the rest of the world. So step one, I've been rejected. First, I want to go to the Lord. I want to pour my heart out to Him. Tell Him how, what happened, how it made me feel. I want to open up, in this case, Ephesians 1, 3 through 6, remind myself, He chose me. He picked me. They might reject me. He did not. He rejected him so that he could accept me. 
But he chose me to be holy and blameless even in this moment. How do we do that? Well, let's move on. Step two is to forgive. After I've gone to God with the issue, I've listened to Him remind me of His acceptance of me. The next step to dealing with rejection is to forgive the one who rejected me. This is a tough one. By the way, don't skip any of these steps. Don't try to jump to step two before you do step one. Step one is really important. You know what it is inside of us that makes us not want to go to God first? You get rejected. You feel that inside. What's always been there, your heart is going to say, don't go toward God. You know why? Because your heart knows what God is going to do. He's going to talk you off of that ledge. And you don't want talked off of that ledge. He's going to ask you to get rid of that in there but this is what I use to get back at the person, God. Don't skip step one. When you hear God speak to you about accepting you and your needs for acceptance are met there, it will be easier to do this difficult step, which is to forgive. This does not mean you have to convince yourself that what that person did was right. In fact, if you need to forgive them, it probably wasn't. This doesn't mean, story for a different sermon, but it doesn't mean you're always going to be best friends with that person. You have to pretend like nothing ever happened. You may have to confront. Sometimes love requires it. Jesus said we always forgive. Here's the way I forgive. go to a quiet place, I take a deep breath and say, okay, I don't want to do this, but I really want to do this. You know what I mean. I said, Lord, I, you put a, you put a name to this. You, Troy can be the offender. You, thought, you sat way too close this morning, Troy. Okay? So I'm just going to say, Lord, I choose to forgive Troy for that thing he did the other day. Here's how it made me feel. God, it made me so angry. It made me want to lash out made me feel humiliated. Say, Troy hurt me, God. But I'm not going to store this pain to use as fuel later. That's why we hang on to this. We think it will give us the fuel we need later to get what we want. I'm not going to store this to become fuel later. I choose to give it to you. I ask you, Lord Jesus, take back the ground I gave the enemy in my heart through my bitterness, and I yield that ground in your control. Here's a great way to think of forgiveness. Um, let's stay with Troy. Troy's really hurt me and offended me. Why should I let Troy have that much control over my heart? Why does he get to control my emotions and my responses and all that stuff? Does he deserve that? Whose heart is this whose heart is this supposed to be? Who have I given this to? It ain't Troy. Right? It's supposed to be my Lord, but the only way I can get the offender out of there is through forgiveness. 
there is no other way. And I may have to confront, and I may have to uh, do some other things for our relationship to continue, but I want the Lord to control my heart as I walk through those things. Not my own bitterness and anger, and not that other person. So that's step two. Go to the Lord. I pour out my heart. What happened? How it made me feel? I listen, get my acceptance needs met by Him, and then I do the hard work of forgiving the person who made me feel. Step three. I'm not even going to put it up there yet. I want to introduce it this way. I am not going to tell you when you've been hurt, you've been rejected. I'm not going to tell you to do nothing. I'm not going to tell you you have to just take it. I'm going to tell you to fight. But you better make sure that you're fighting the right fight. When you have been hurt, you had better be ready to fight. But it is so easy to fight the wrong Here's the easy fights. Depending upon how you normally naturally respond to rejection, you will either tend to fight yourself. You're so stupid. What's wrong with you? You do this every time. You are worthless. No wonder nobody likes you. Right? We're not fighting that fight. It's the wrong fight. Or the easy fight is to fight the other person. Oh, he hurt me this much. I can hurt him this much. Oh, he wants to play like that, does he? Right? Fighting that fight. But we better be ready to fight because we're in a fight whether we know it or like it or not. So write this passage down. Ephesians 6, 11-17. It's the full armor of God passage. You may be familiar with it. Here's the way this passage reads. Paul says, Clothe yourselves with the full armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle, our fight, is not against people, flesh and blood. It's against the devil and his friends, the rulers, against the powers, against the world rulers of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the, the heavens and the atmosphere. Verse 13. So for this reason, take up the full armor of God. Why? so that you may be able to stand your ground on the evil day, and having done everything, to stand. Stand firm, therefore, by fastening the belt of truth around your waist, by putting on the breastplate of righteousness, by fitting your feet with the preparation that comes from the good news of peace, and in all this, by taking up the shield of faith, which with, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one, Take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Okay, again, we can't fine-tooth comb this thing. But I want to say a few things about the armor of God and the fight we are in when we are rejected. First, I want to say this about the armor of God. It is not Novocaine or Lidocaine or any of the other canes or the uh, any painkiller. Here's what this is not. If you're a good enough Christian... You put this armor on every day. Nothing can hurt you. That is never the lesson. If that were the lesson, 
then why did John the Baptist get his head chopped off? I think he deserves a do-over on that one. If that's the lesson. Look at what Paul says right here. Take up the full armor of God so that the evil day will never come in your life. Is that what he said? No. He said you put on the full armor of God because the evil day is coming. And who do you want to stand with? Your Lord or your enemy? That's the fight. Because your real fight is not against the person who rejected you. Your real fight is against the schemes of the devil. And let me tell you, the devil's scheme for you. Here's what we can't do. I've been rejected, so I've been hurt. I've been offended, I've been whatever. So now I get to treat that person like they're the devil. And I get to convince myself defeating them is doing the Lord's work. Nope. The schemes of the devil is usually to try to get you to use different weapons than what's on the screen behind me. He wants you to use, the devil wants you to use his weapons and convince yourself you're fighting God's battle. That's the fight. He wants you to isolate, self-loathe, hate yourself, be yourself. Do you know elsewhere Paul says you have been made adequate to serve God in this new covenant? He wants, the devil wants you to to lash out, to hurt back, to... That's the fight. So, what weapons do we have in that fight? Here's what I, I poured my heart out to the Lord. I've listened to His acceptance of me. I've forgiven that person. Here's why that's such an important step. Because maybe then I won't see them as the enemy I'm trying to defeat. I can see the real enemy. I can fight him. With what? Well, I'm glad you asked. Stand firm, therefore, by fastening the belt of truth. Okay, so I've been hurt by this person. I've been rejected. I may have to confront. We may have to have a, a difficult conversation. But I'm only going to use truth. I am not going to hope other people maybe believe some other things. Maybe not there the whole. There may not be the whole truth, but sure can be effective. We know what the, the truth. We only hold on to the truth. The blessed pl breastplate of righteousness. What? Why did God choose us again from the last step? God chose me. He adopted me. Be blameless holy, to be righteous. I'm only going to do what he would say is right. Not what I can convince others is unavoidable. Not the same thing. What would he say is right? What would he say is true? I'm going to pursue, verse 15, peace. I'm going to pursue peace. And then in all this, I'm going to find my protection. So the shield, the helmet, my protection is not going to come 
by any other means, not by the, the people I can convince to be on my side and against that person. That can feel very protective. I'm going to get my protection from my faith, which is the only thing that can extinguish the arrows of the real enemy. And my salvation, my faith in my salvation are parts of the same thing. That's where I get my protection. Here's how this sort of can feel. All right, I've poured my, step one, I've poured my heart out to the Lord. I've got my acceptance from Him in His Word. I've forgiven that person. I'm, and now I see my real enemy. And I'm going I'm to stand with Christ. With this idea that what can that person ultimately do? If I have really been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heaven and I've already I'm set to inherit all things for all of eternity. I'm a little bit bulletproof. I, I don't have to defeat them. I got my protection from, from, the, from the better source. That's step three. And then finally a short one and a vague one. I go toward God, I forgive, I fight, but I make sure I fight the right fight. Step four, then I am ready to I just reflect Christ, shine Christ. This is necessarily vague because I cannot tell you how this is going to look in your next situation. I just can't. Sometimes Jesus confronted his enemies. Sometimes he withdrew. Sometimes he was pointing out sin. Sometimes he was very caring towards sinners. Right? I, I... But here's what I know. The next time I am rejected, that situation is less about me. And it's more about him. And there is never, there never might be too strong, but how many times do we get a better opportunity to look different like Israel was supposed to look different than responding even toward the people who rejected me. Love, forgiveness, grace. To look like the one who saved me. I love the way the Bible presents its heroes. Samuel's a hero in the scriptures. But he's not like a comic book superhero who never feels any pain. Think of what happened today. He got offended. He got rejected. He got really hurt. Right? God's not asking you to be someone who never gets hurt either. But he does ask us to represent him somehow in those hearts. It's disarming. It's effective. It is different. Right? It's, it's so tempting to say, well, there's a few things I don't do and that makes me different. But when someone hurts me, watch out. Go toward God. Do the hard work of forgiveness. Fight, fight, fight the right fight. And look for an opportunity to make others feel and understand 
the Lord Jesus is, is more important to you than anyone else. Let's pray. Father God, if you hadn't given us a king who was rejected, we would never know that what we just talked about is something that would be effective or make any sense at all. But we are trying to follow the rejected king. We're trying to follow the one who never deserved any rejection, never deserved anyone to despise him, but absorbed all those things and still forgave and pursued and loved. We thank you so much, God, that you continue to pursue people who offend and reject you. Help us to remember, God, when we are offended and rejected, that person's biggest problem is not what they did to me. And my biggest problem is not what that person did to me. I have a a stronger enemy than that. Help us to see even our rejection as an opportunity to be so much like Jesus that makes us so different from the rest of the world. Thank you that you will protect us You will walk with us even through a trial like that. We love you, Lord. Thanks for your word. Help us do this well in Jesus' name.